0: Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, that's always encouraging, isn't it? Well done, by the way. Uh, Inga for reading all those names. Na- names, are, names are very important to God. <laughs> but some of them are quite challenging. <laughs> yeah, weighty names. So we are continuing our sermon series on the book of Nehemiah which, if you're following in the church Bible, is on page 491. And I am going to be looking at chapter 7 and further on in chapter 8. So if you've got a Bible handy, it will really help you. Now, Joe spoke to us last week on chapter 6 about following Nehemiah's example and not listening to the voice of our critics, but listening to the voice of God. And this week, we're very much continuing that Same theme about listening to God, but we're going to gracefully leap over chapter 7 to chapter 8, which is our passage today. So let's pray. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to meet with you, the living God, this morning, and we thank you for your word to us, Lord, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And apply that word to our hearts, to our minds, that we might be changed and transformed by the love and power of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So before we dive into the passage, let me remind you where we are and briefly summarize chapter 7. So Nehemiah and the people of God have rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem, despite the intimidation of some of their enemies. And then in chapter 7, the gates of the city are put in place, and the wall is finally restored. Chapter 7, verse 4, says, Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God, put it into my heart. I love that, my God, put it into my heart. It's just such a wonderful picture of intimacy between God and Nehemiah. He put it in his heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the common people for registration by families. Nehemiah had found the genealogical record like a, a family tree of those who had been the first to return from exile. And families are important to God, and I actually draw great strength from that. And in fact, over the last couple of weeks, I've been particularly standing on a verse. In Proverbs 14:26 says that whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. And the reason this particular scripture was so important to me is, as many of you know, Tristan, our son's just got married, and him and Steph went off for their honeymoon in Madagascar. And just before they left, they were researching all about Madagascar and uh, discovered that at this time of year, there is an outbreak of the bubonic plague in Madagascar. So as you can imagine, I was obviously very concerned that my son was now travelling with his very new wife to a place where they have an outbreak of bubonic plague known as the Black Death. Um, So, although my son is not a prayer yet, I certainly was. And I stood on this scripture. I prayed this scripture over them because I fear the Lord and he is my secure fortress. And his word says that for my children, he will be their refuge. And I think that's an amazing truth. Anyway, there's a long list of all the families that are very important to God in chapter 7. But we're skipping over that and we're going to begin on chapter 8 where we see that Nehemiah does exactly what God has put on his heart. He is obedient. And I think this whole message God wants us to get today is about being obedient. Hearing his voice, reading his word, applying it to our lives. I hate the word obedient. I don't hate it, but um, I know it's good for me, but it's not a word that sits very comfortably with me. Anyway, off we go with Nehemiah. He's being obedient, and not only has he stepped out in faith, trusted God, he's rebuilt the physical walls of Jerusalem with all the people together, but now he is about to spiritually restore the people through the living word of God. And that's my prayer today, that God will be speaking to us and restoring us through his living word. So Nehemiah gathered the people together as God has instructed him, And we read they were as one in the square before the Watergate. One big family on that first day of the seventh month. Which is actually New Year's Day in the civil calendar. And it would have been the festival of trumpets for God's people. We read in the book of Leviticus that the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Well, I don't think there were any trumpet blasts that day. I expect that because the people had been in exile in Babylon for so long that they had forgotten that. But we see the stage is set. God has set the stage. And we meet Ezra, who was the teacher of the law and the priest. And he brings out the law of Moses, which The people have requested, it would seem, from this passage. So it's very interesting that the people of God are requesting the word of God. There seems to be a spiritual hunger there. And I believe that we have that very much in society today. There is a spiritual hunger to hear the word of God, to hear truth. And the law of Moses, um, by the way, consists of the first five books of the Old Testament, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And these were known as the Torah. Jewish people called these first five books the Torah. So Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law, he stands up on a platform with various assistants with wonderful names. And he opens the book and all the people stood up. And Ezra praises God and all the people lift up their hands and say amen and amen. And then they bow down and worship God. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to stand up and join me in this because we are worshipping God and we want to revere his name. So all the people stood up as one. And Lord, we want to, uh, just as Ezra did, we want to worship you, Lord God. We want to declare that you are almighty God, that you are majestic, that you are sovereign Lord, that you are Lord over this church, over our church family, over this community, over Reading. You are Lord and we praise you and we declare that your word is truth and your word is life in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the people said... Amen. Amen. And then they bowed down and worshipped God with their faces to the ground. I'm not sure if that was prostrate, so I won't ask you to go flat on the ground. But Lord, we just want to honor you. So you can take your seats now. But I would like to point out that Ezra read this book from daybreak till noon. That would have been about six hours. And the people stood for six hours. How about that for focus, for attention, for attention? on the living word of God so wanting to hear God so wanting to meet with God and this was in a in a public place it wasn't in the temple down by the water gate so it had been a bit like us gathering out on coronation square men women and children it was all those who were old enough to understand and then if we got pads to go and stand up on a platform with various assistants and he would read the word of God for six hours and we'd all stand I mean would you be up for that? And everyone listened attentively, it said. Everyone listened attentively for the entire reading. So how do we revere God's word today? Do we even believe the Bible is true? Is it the authoritative word of God? I mean, do we really believe that? Or do we think, oh, that passage, that's all right. Or do we start to take it to pieces and think, oh, I don't know about that one. or oh, I don't know about that one. Well, the apostle Paul said that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And as Ezra is reading out this law to the people, the Levites are moving around amongst the various families, and they're helping people to understand I do hope I'm helping you to understand. I don't see myself as a teacher of the law, but helping you to understand the word of God. But the really good news for us is that Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. When he went... The Holy Spirit came to help us understand God's word. We have the Holy Spirit who lives in every believer and he lights up God's word for us and he applies it to our hearts. If we let him, if we are willing, if we read the scriptures with an open mind and an open heart and allow God to apply it to our lives and to speak that truth to us. Because without receiving the Bible as God's truth, and that's just not bits of it, but that's the whole Bible as God's truth, we just don't understand. And our lives won't change. It won't change if you pick and choose which parts of the Bible you want to believe. Billy Graham said that I had to decide one day and I had to do it by faith. This is in relation to the Bible. I saw all the evidences, but I couldn't prove them. I could almost prove them but then I had to take a step of faith and when I did my life and my ministry was changed there came an authority and a power and an assurance and a security Billy Graham like Nehemiah he walked by faith and he decided to take God at his word not some words at his whole word it was truth So we move on, verse 9, Nehemiah declares to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the Lord. Does God's word make you weep when you hear it? Why were they weeping? They'd just finished restoring the wall. You'd imagine they would have been celebrating. But I believe it's because they were so desperate to hear from God that they sought after him and they listened attentively and they focused on him and that they were reminded of God's promises to them, that they were his people, that he was the one who redeemed them, that he was the one who loved them, and he'd set them apart for his glory. There is power in the word of God, power that convicts us of our sin but then offers us healing and restoration. And if we are serious about following God, we have got to get into his word. We have got to seriously seek after him. And we've got to want our healing. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be restored? Do you want your life to be put back on track and to walk in God's ways? He's given us his Holy Spirit to help him. He's given us one another to encourage one another. He's given us his word, which is truth. But we've got to want it. We can't just be willing to stay where we are. We've got to want it. We've got to seek after God and ask him to show us what is going on in my life. Help me to move forward. The book of Hebrews um, was earlier actually on the... um, confession said that the word of god is alive and active it's sharper than any double edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart and seeking after god allowing his word to speak to us allowing his word to judge our thoughts and attitudes that is the way when we obey what we believe God is saying. That is the way will we, we will become transformed. That is the way people will see Jesus in us. We hold the key. We each hold the key to our own healing. God is willing and ready, but he will not force himself on us. We have to say, Lord. All the people who came to Jesus, they were, Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? What, what, does Jesus want, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Do you want him just to have a happy life? I mean, you know, what do you want him to do? Do you want him to really get in there into your heart and sort out the muck? Because I've certainly got plenty of it that I'm asking him to sort out. And some of it, I'm thinking, oh, no, I don't want to go there. But actually, if we're really interested in getting closer to the Lord, walking his way, glorifying him and being a witness, then we have to allow him in. We have to allow him by his word and his spirit to judge the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. And in our gospel reading that Anne read, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. We don't want to be foolish. We don't want to read God's word or say to God or show me what I need to do and then think, oh, I don't want to do that. Because then we're being foolish. We need to be like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. I'm not saying it's easy. and That's why God placed us in his family. It's for a reason, so we could encourage one another and stand together. And he's given us his word and his spirit to help us. So back to Nehemiah and Ezra, who tell the people not to mourn or weep. In fact, they are to celebrate. And they are to go out and enjoy Choice food and sweet drinks and to share them with those in need. So why are they not to grieve? Well, we we read it's because the joy of the Lord is their strength. And a little bit further on it says, because now that they have understood the words that have been made known to them. The people understood these words of God that brought life and salvation. Words of life. And that's why we have things like you know, Bible study groups, that's why we um, obviously preach, um, so that people will understand the words of God. But ask, don't just think, oh, I don't really understand any of that. Ask and be expectant that God wants to speak to you because he wants you to understand his word. And yes, there's lots of bits we, we struggle with, but let's struggle together and wrestle with, with God over it and seek understanding so that we can become more like Jesus. Raymond Brown, in his commentary, says the people wept because they became aware of their sinfulness in the light of God's word. They had broken their covenant promise with God and they'd failed to love him and be faithful to him. Yet they were told to dry their tears because just as God convicts us of our sin, so he proclaims the remedy to us. And within 10 days of this new year holiday would be the day of atonement. When all the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites would be fully, immediately, and irrevocably pardoned. Whatever their sins had been. On that day of atonement, the atoning sacrifice was offered. The scapegoat, poor little goat, would carry all the sins of the people out into the wilderness and the people would be declared clean and that day of atonement came for us on good friday when jesus carried all our sins on the cross everything we've ever done he carried on his sinless body so we could be declared clean we could be washed clean by the precious blood of jesus it cost him his life he died for us Do we understand what it cost Jesus, how much he loved us? And that is why they say do not grieve. Because after God convicts us of our sin, he offers hope, he offers repentance, that we can turn away from our sin and ask for his forgiveness. So that all who repent and believe are eternally forgiven. I'm now going off your text in your service sheet because I'm moving on to verse 13, which is on page 492. But hungry for more, if you're following the church Bible, the day following this huge assembly, the heads of families gathered around Ezra to give attention to God's word. They wanted more. Are you pushing and do you want more of God's word? Are you meeting with people and meeting with God and asking for him to really speak with you through his word. They, they were really trying to give it some attention. And they discovered that they were to live in temporary shelters during this festival of the seventh month. And that they should proclaim this throughout Israel, that everyone should be living in these temporary shelters. So people were instructed to gather olive branches and other leafy trees to make shelters in accordance with God's word. They took God at his word and they did what the law told them to do. Everyone who had returned from exile built a temporary shelter. And they lived in it just as their ancestors had done. And there were great celebrations. It reminds me a little bit of New Wine when we were down there at the summer conference. There were, there were great celebrations there too. We, some people were in tents. I was in a caravan. I'm not sure that would pass as a temporary shelter. But well, every, well done to everyone who was in a tent. But day after day, it says, Ezra read from the book of the law. And they celebrated for seven days. They celebrated God's word to them. And then on the eighth day, in accordance with what was written, there was a solemn assembly, which was required in God's law. And this feast of the booths or tabernacles, as it is sometimes known, They celebrate it because they remember God's faithfulness and his protection as they remember the journey of their ancestors who lived in these temporary booths and tents um, on their journey from Egypt to the promised land. They remembered what God had done for their ancestors and what God had done for them. And all the way through the Bible, we are reminded, Jesus himself quoted from the Old Testament as well, we're reminded of what God has done for his people. So what can we learn from Nehemiah? Well, as I said earlier, for me, it's one word which is obedience, which is it's not my favorite word. But I know that obedience to God's word is the path to healing and restoration. And I, I grew up feeling very rejected. And um, as a result, I, I believed I wasn't good enough. It was a lie, but it was truth to me. I really believed it. And as a result, I tried to meet my own needs and prove that, that I was good enough. I was good enough to be loved and accepted. And this um, resulted in an interesting path. Um, I, I was a rebel. I was a party animal. I was the center of attention because I wanted that love and acceptance in a bit of a strange way. But, you know, I was the center of attention. I was getting my needs met. Uh, My life took a very interesting route. Pads, obviously, I met along the way. He was definitely a saving grace. Uh, But my main saving grace was when I met God in my early 40s and within actually a very short space of time because I was hungry for God's word. And it was during a, a prayer healing session that this lie that I had believed that I was not good enough was exposed. And these two lovely Christian ladies, they helped me to start this journey of replacing the lies that I believed about myself with God's truth. And they took me through prayers of repentance because my behavior was extremely sinful. I had no doubt about that. I certainly knew what sin was. and I, But I had to own it. I had to take responsibility for my behavior, for the way that I had behaved and turn away from God and the way that I tried to meet my own needs. And if we're serious, if we're really serious about getting right with God, we need to ask him to search our hearts and and then show us what it is that we are doing. What are we believing about ourselves? And how has that resulted in our behavior? And one of the key verses of scripture for me is John 15. Verse 16 says, I am chosen and appointed to bear fruit, fruit that will last. And to someone who's been through or felt rejected To be chosen by God is just completely mind-blowing. And that's not for me. It's not just true for me. It's true for everyone. God has chosen you. He has chosen you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. So every time the enemy tells me that I'm not good enough, I actually tell him what God says about me. And yes, I do fall back into my old ways of thinking, and I have to keep asking God to help me, and friends, sometimes stand with me and, choose, and help me to choose to believe what God says is true. Because it's about a walk with the Lord. It's about a relationship with him. It's not, unfortunately, a quick fix, but it's about relationship. And Ephesians um, chapter 6, verse 17 tells us that, the, that we are to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, And we're to hold on to God's promises. The Bible is his truth. It's his word to us. We are to hold on to his promises if you want to overcome the enemy. And if you think you haven't got an enemy, believe me, this morning getting here for three minutes to ten, I knew I had an enemy. Sometimes we can feel really battle weary and we need others to help us stand on God's promises. Because we're all on this journey of faith together. Just as Nehemiah and Ezra and the people of God came together as one in the square before the Watergate. They came to worship God and they came, they, they wanted to receive his words of healing and restoration. So we too have gathered here together as one, one family. And we're here to worship God and to receive his words of life because His words of life are such a good cause to celebrate because they bring us healing and restoration, not just to us, but to a whole broken world who desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ.